The subject of the evening talk is spiritual unity. Recently, I've been reading a book about a person who some of you will know of, a South African named Steve Biko. And Steve Biko, a black South African, belongs to the tradition of men and women who have ardently campaigned for for change, for meaningful change, and coming from a certain consciousness which wishes to express the movement towards genuine, genuine equality, genuine sharing. And the story of Biko is the story of a young man who, be, in his 20s who became something of a leader among a number, a growing number of the black South Africans. And one point he was arrested by the South African police under the orders of that system. He was banned from speaking to more than one person at a time. He was banned from meetings. He wasn't allowed to be uh, quoted. He was completely ostracized by, by the system. And Biko then in the period of time which he was, uh, in which he was alive, he, he wrote an article, and rather, an, rather an, an extraordinary kind of article. He wrote an article which was very critical of the liberal tradition of South Africa. The liberal tradition, one which opposed apartheid, was genuinely supportive to the movement to, towards the blacks, towards equality, towards sharing, and he, and he criticized it because he felt, among many reasons, he felt that the people themselves, the black people themselves, had to develop in a full and caring way their own black consciousness. They had to develop a greater sense of themselves. And so he placed a great deal of emphasis within his article and within the short time that he lived of encouraging people to find their sense of worth, their sense of validity, much as Luther King did so admirably over the years in, in this country. Later, Steve Biko, when he was 30, he was arrested, and like a number of black South Africans both before him, he died in 1977, September 77, and after him under, underwent arrest, imprisonment, and torture. And in that period of time, he was brutally beaten. His head, it seems, was smashed frequently against the wall. He was bleeding. He was thrown into the back of a, of a jeep. He was driven for 1,200 miles from the interrogation 1,200 kilometers from the interrogation center to the prison, and within three or four days after his arrival in the prison, Biko was dead. It's a very sad story of an exceptionally perceptive human being. And for those of you who 
I've not read of read of Pico and of his of his life. It's well worth reading about this particular person. And he's such a, so as I say, 30 years old, very perceptive, very very insightful, and committed to change, and committed to this encouragement towards people finding themselves in life, feeling that sense of validity in life, and using that. And there's a certain spiritual awareness in that towards this work towards genuine equality in life. And Biko was one of those proponents of our era who expounded the validity of that. And very, just from his writings, from, his, from the trial which he uh, um, underwent, and just from the sense of his, uh, the photographs you see, is extraordinarily perceptive and beautiful man. This bringing, this, this exploration in life of finding a, an awareness in life which is towards unitive seeing at every level, it must run with all of us, I feel, far and deep. And each time we're finding ways and means to express that, we bring, in a very real way, the spiritual factor into life. Not to regard everybody and everything the same, not, not, not to oversimplify things, but to live and to find ways and means in our, in our life where this large sense of difference which you and I experience according to the movement of our mind between ourselves and another, ourselves in this world, ourselves and creatures, gets reduced. And so working with ourselves, working with our, with our, with our ego, whether it's finding more confidence or working to um, take some of the differentiating factors out of our ego, it's not just to do it for itself, but it's to do it to give you and I a more of a, a fresh perception in our relationship to life, so that life is not so much the solidification of the difference between me, which I know, familiar with, whoever the me is, and that which is out there. That's be just beginning to see in that way, that less sense of difference, that one would say is an element of spirituality inside a human being. Each time you and I experience, experience that. That extension of the spiritual element, the unitive element in life, the sense of a shared participation in life, is not enough to extend itself just to other human beings. It's, it's not enough that you and I reduce some of these divisions of one nationality from another, one class from another, one, structure, one type of person from another. But it, even though that's an enormous task to do, to have feel connection with the people that we meet, <coughs> but also it has to extend itself, this is where the challenge to mind comes, where one feels that state of opposition to. Where, where you and I meet with people who we feel are a threat, we feel are an enemy, who we three feel are a burdensome, so much in our life because of our beliefs, because of our, who we are, that even within the context of that person, that spiritual element is somehow to discover that, to try to work from that kind of basis. And that, that isn't easy. Each time in your mind and my mind, the enemy 
pops up. The threat pops up. In all the countless ways that that occurs, that image obviously solidifies the difference. And there are actual real differences in the way we look, in terms of oneself and another, the way we think, the way we believe, the way we... Um, a whole vision and perception of life can be radically different. But just to go the old way of polarizing the difference in, in which, which becomes one attacking and threatening the other in whatever way means that somehow or other you and I have to find another way of working, another way of looking, which doesn't in any way make us passive and make us withdrawn, but find us find to see a common denominator, some other factor, and to address that. Let me give you, let me give you a, a example of this uh, unitive element. In, um, I and uh, others are involved in conducting workshops of people involved in the peace movement. And if the spiritual element is, la is, is lacking in peace work. It's merely a political activity, an important one, but a political activity to reduce the threat of nuclear arms and so forth. Very, very easily the, dis the separation and the distancing begins. And the distancing produces inside of ourself anger, right self-righteousness, arrogance, and that becomes an expression which is all too familiar to what we're experiencing, what we're receiving. And, and ways and means are being explored to see if we can look at it another way. And sometimes that shows itself in, in some of the exercises, um, say on these uh, 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 workshops for peace activists, where, as an example, I may endeavour to encourage one person to take on one kind of role oppressive role, dominating role, the role of being in control, and the other person feeling to be on the receiving end of that kind of active activity, feeling to be oppressed by that person, feeling to be put down, and, then, and to move the roles round so that in one's ex experience one can get a feeling, a sense in one's life of how you and I move sometimes in and out of different roles and what kind of effect that has in a unitive way of seeing. And it's not unusual for us in life, and sometimes the, the, the role alteration can really show that. One role in life, I'm talking about domination and being dominated, the, one, the power, powerless. One role in life be, seems, just through some exercises, seems to be much more familiar to us than the other. So sometimes some people are familiar with being in one and then being with the other. And when that occurs like that, the one role which you and I feel to familiar with, which we know we had the tendency, the tendency to, to tell rather than be told, the tendency to um, influence rather than be influenced, whichever role is more familiar to us, if one of them is, that's the role you and I have to look at carefully. We have to see, well, what's, what's my relationship to that, that role, that position which I tend to take in a variety of circumstances in my life? Because that role not only affects oneself, of course, 
and how our ego feeds on that role, but it actively affects the people that we work with. And we create a distance, we create a gap, we, we create different forms of dependency. And in, in, in that gap which, uh, which arises, we easily lose ourselves and therefore lose the unitive sense because of the way that our minds become conditioned. So our, so our self-knowledge is seeing what, what kind of part we tend to play with great frequency, is to see what influence my part has on another, on others. And particularly where there's a syndrome where one's mind reacts or rebels against something or someone, it's essential to see what other ways can I look at this situation which don't inhibit action and become passive, but rather enable action to take place but from a different place inside of oneself. Because we've all of us experienced a situation where there is something happening like a pressure from outside, it touches something inside, and that negative factor, which is, say, let us say, coming from it, only produces the reaction from inside. It doesn't come from a clear space inside of ourselves. And when it doesn't come from a clear place, we're just reacting to the event, it means that, we, that in that particular time of that reaction, we are not clearly enough familiar with that kind of situation. We haven't watched it carefully enough. We haven't worked with that one carefully enough. And it only shows to us in our reaction, understandable as it may be, that we've got more work to do, self-work, let's say, in a particular area. If we're going to have the, the sense of space inside which can accommodate what's happening outside of ourselves. That's spirituality in relationship, in communication. It's a practice, of course. But also, it's not enough for it just to rest in there. It's not enough for you and I just to come to self-knowledge and to say, I'm not going to look at, at the South African government as an enemy anymore. I'm not going to look at this situation, this injustice around me as a, a threat anymore. It's, 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 it's got to extend itself, this working on, on oneself, so that we look at all of those situations around us, trying to find ways and means to look at it differently than from the standpoint of a reaction. And that isn't easy. In extending this unity of relationship and connection to life, one of the areas which I feel is overlooked, which there are too few models for in the, in, in the West or in, or in the East, and one might say in general, in the world itself. Therefore, it encourages greater self-reliance, and that is the relationship which needs to, to be de developed with non-human forms of life. And in that development of that, it means that in our 
In our relationship, m most people say, oh, I like animals, I like birds, I like creatures, etc., etc. But that's not spiritual, particularly. It might be, but it's not spiritual because it often doesn't go deep enough because it only goes as far as I like them as long as they don't bother me, as long as they don't threaten me, as long as they don't interfere with, with, with me. But spirituality can't be just liking creatures. I mean, it must run deeper if, if the unitive sense inside of us is, is, is going to emerge. But once it begins to, begins to emerge, as many of us have found and still do find, it puts one in the state of, here's a sensitivity, here's a care and concern, and here's a fact of life. The fact of life of the endless destruction of animals. Whether it's in the laboratories, or via factory farming, or the beautiful creatures of the, of the ocean, countless expressions of destructiveness which, which are taking place. And the, and, the and the destructiveness which is, which is running rampant, rampant. You know, I mean, a, a clear and simple example would say in England, in England there are countless numbers of hedgerows. In the, in both in much of England as well as in the um, old rural England, the fields were and are still for the most part very, very small, two, three, five, ten acre fields, and many of the fields have a hedge around that, that field. And in those hedges live most of England's wildlife. And the creatures there, it's a, it's a place of safety for them. Whether it's the foxes and hedgehogs and birds and their nests and the, and the, and the rabbits. Uh, use those hedge fields, that, that's their home. But with contemporary farming, etc., etc., thousands of miles of hedgerows are just being destroyed, and with it goes the safety of these creatures. And of course, it goes, it goes from that to the, the migratory birds, which fly over France, you know, they're fly, flying over, and then they found a system in, in France to attract down these birds into the trees, but the trees have all got nets in them. And so these migratory birds come over and they catch, catch some birds, hold them, and then the other birds all come down. And these birds are just captured, thousands and thousands of them. Why? To go on the dinner table. Just it, it, this, this relation, relationship which we, which we ha have to life, and as a, a unitive, express, unitive expression of it, is one where the heart actively feels this care and concern and finds in small ways in life to channel some expression for it. Channels, channel an, an expression for it, which means that one gives consideration in one's life to one's activities, and to one's activities with, with, with creatures. And there's a tendency, I feel, in this regard that sometimes we, we lose we lose sensitivity. Lose sensitivity where people sometimes just, you know, there's an insect in the house and the automatic reaction is destroy it. There's no thought, you know, get the spray, get this, get that. And there's, there's basically an aggression there. 
And so often, when that aggression is questioned, friends say, well, you can't let these things run, run all over your house, they destroy your home, etc., etc. And of course, there has to be some balance. But so often, these, our relationship to creatures can actively cultivate sensitivity. It's not just that you and I just blindly preserve life as though that's the only thing to do, but actually it can bring out greater awareness and sensitivity out of our own heart. It can bring out what is spiritual and, and thereby develop a much more free and spacious and comfortable relationship with the various forms of life. And, when, and, and, and in, in that, there's a, there's a feeling of connection with life. Because one is bringing to it a certain ethical, a certain moral principle in life. Let me give you an example. A friend of mine on a, on a retreat was living in Norfolk, which is um, in England, a, a, rural, a rural area in England. And it, had been, it was a very fierce, cold uh, uh, night, a very, very stormy night. And one of, the, one of the cows in the cow shed was giving, was giving birth to, uh, to uh, a calf. And the cow, he said, he was a farmer, was having an extremely difficult, extremely difficult birth. And he, as much as he could, acting as a kind of midwife, was, was facilitating uh, that, that birth for the, to this calf to come out and spent most of the, most of the night in this cow shed to make the, to make the delivery. And the, yeah, the calf, the calf was, was born. And he said in that, that the cow turned her head behind um, after the birth and looked him straight in the eyes. And he said he just knew that that cow was communicating a, a gratitude. You see, just the cow just looked him straight in the eyes. You could just see the happiness and the peace that was coming out of this cow, knowing that the calf was safe. And he said, and he said, every day he'd go, he'd go there to the, to the, to the barn where the, where the cow was, and he said, it was the only one who the cow would let that calf. He could take the calf away and wash it and and be with it, and he lied down with the, with the cow, and they developed such a, a close, affectionate relationship together. And it was coming out of his own care and commitment, the, the, the animal res responding, and those very, those very soft eyes that cows have, and, and something beautiful can take place. That's spiritual. That is something beautiful. And, and any, any that kind of area in our relation, relationship to animals means, of course, that as I say, the ethical, moral consider, consideration must come in. And of course, the most obvious and noticeable way is with regard to our diet. And this finding, I feel, finding these ways and means to, exp to explore that it opens up one's heart and one can, truly can feel a connection with life and a connection with, with, the, with the animals and with the birds. Because one's heart is not into ways and means which shorten their life, which, 
which subject them to so much suffering. But yet, but yet, but yet, the difficulty is, the actuality is, as we see, and it's a question which arises, is that life lives on life. That our, in our relationship to life, life, life depends upon life, life survives on life in all the various forms that it can take, take place. But the thing is, it's an area for our questioning and for our, for our looking at, for our relationship to what we eat, to our relationship to milk products, to our, to our relationship to creatures. And if, we, and if, we, if we're seriously uh, concerned with the, the spiritual life, these areas do come up for question. And they're not easy because we, finding ourselves, we find ourselves in that often inner conflict, inner dilemma, What's the balance for me? What, 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 what's right? What is appropriate for me? What, where, where do I stand upon this? And rather often in these areas, because there's such hard areas to, to um, work with and to some extent to live with, we often don't want to inquire in that. And then the patterns just rule with sometimes almost unquestioning obedience to the, to the patterns. So, we, so in our relationship to life and in developing a spiritual unitive sense with our, with our life, it includes people, it includes the, the creatures, and it includes the very environment itself. And all of that, that in the whole area of environment, can be a real expression for a caring awareness, and a non-destructive way of communicating with the environment. Let me give you a, give you a personal... Uh, Personal example. I mean, as people know, and as, and it doesn't take a great deal of uh, sensitivity to realise how much in the field of plants, how much plants are affected by us as human beings, how they res- how they res- how they respond, and a little connection with plants in one's life gives one the sense of just how much they respond. And I noticed in my own, own home where uh, my friend, uh, mate Gwenwyn, she keeps a whole variety of plants around the, the house. I mean, our house is... Uh, each room has, has several, several plants in, in and around the house. And I just noticed, and it's mostly come, mostly just went through the watering of the plants and through the observation, of, of the plants, and through the frequency of reminders in my connection with them, that if I am sensitive and, and, my, and mindful in, in their house, that de- there develops a certain kind of sensitivity with oneself and the plants. And when one isn't very mindful, one, uh, you know, as I do, will walk around, brush past the plants, you know, be, be, be careless with, with, with them, pull the curtains, knock the plants, you know, etc., etc., and I realise that at one level, spiritually speaking, this is gross. It's not coming out of, much, out of a conscious mind. It's not coming out of a state of awareness. It's coming, it's coming out of a certain crude mind. And it's this finding ways and, ways and means, without you know, going to the uh, extremes, but finding ways and means where something inside of us, in our actions, gets an expression which is aware and sensitive. So 
so that, that, so that once again, this hard division between myself and who I am and what I am and this world which you and I live in and participate in is not so different. And that basic principle which has stood so much the test of time, treat others as one would wish to be treated. And that really, in our time now, it really extends itself, not only to treat others, but to treat creatures and to treat, and to treat the nature as one would wish to be treated. And the, ex and the explore exploration of that means that one feels very close to life. Not as, a, as an odd thought, not as the occasional experience, but because the mind's heart uh, and consciousness gravitates towards that closeness. There's nothing theoretical about it. That's, that's, the, you, that's the, the unitive element which comes in. And, and with, with, that, you know, with that, many of the things of problems of mind, states of mind, conditioned habits of mind, and those kind of patterns of mind which we spend and need to, of course, a great deal of time and care and attention working with, actually, and this is the remarkable and beautiful thing of life, can begin to fade and drop out as having any influence in one's life simply because the relationship to life has changed. And once again, it comes, as I was mentioning recently, it's not always having to work things out and looking from that standpoint, but it's a, an attitude of mind towards life which brings you and me closer to it, which brings life closer to us, and we see what the import of that, what the significance of that is. Where we live in our uh, hometown, in the morning, morning times, we're about eight or ten miles from the sea. And we live in a very uh, a small uh, country town of just a, a few thousand people. We live in a little uh, uh, terraced house. And in the morning, the sun, rather nicely, comes, it comes through the... Uh, the front bedroom window. And just in that period of the day, we often hear, the, just as the dawn is coming up, the, the, the birds, who, the gulls from the sea, who fly, fly inland looking for food. And they're just flying above the, above the town, you know, that, that very familiar noise that seagulls uh, make. And in our, just in our somehow or other, in our connection with that, and just listening to that, somehow or other, one experiences that feeling of connection with life. And it's those kind of gestures in, in life that when we've got ears to hear, we don't always have, and we've got, we've got eyes, eyes to see, something, there's something being transmitted which one can't put one's finger on, but something which registers with us and which we which we respond to, which make life precious and beautiful, which give a quality to life, yet we haven't got anything from it, haven't bought anything from it, we haven't 
made anything, we haven't achieved anything, and it's got nothing to do with all the syndromes of mind that you and I have which says we have to do in order to receive, we have to do in order to get. And it's that kind of receptivity to, to life and to the expressions of it in which somehow there's a sense of fullness coming in life, a sense of sparkle in life emerging without having done anything for it. And that kind of, recept kind of receptivity and, and looking at life is frequently available for us. And we can miss it. it can, we can miss it to the we can miss it to to the point that it comes very very infrequently, and we hardly realise it's come. In and in, in a way that that awareness and expansiveness or sensitivity or commitment to life, in a way is what spiritual life is all about. That's what it means. It means having, having been touched by the outer and touched by the inner, which touches a, a joy in, inside of us, which one doesn't have to create any effort for. And in that, the universe keeps opening itself up to us. Constant revelations can, can, keep, can keep coming to us. And for that we don't need any special way. We don't need any prescribed way of living, any prescribed way of doing, any prescri anything prescribed at all. In the inner work with spirituality and the practice and, and application of of spirituality. We have, within the course of the practice and, the, and in the course of the unitive sense in, in life, in which oneself isn't so much the centre of the stage but somehow integrally belonging and relating, and sometimes out of that exper various experience, experiences emerge. And in those experiences, it seems that there is temporarily a fading away of the conflicts, a fading away of the divisions, of the, of the separateness. And there's, and there's again that sense in one's life of, a, of an intimacy with life. You know, and it seems that the, 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 the struggles and the efforts and the willpower and so forth don't have any kind of involvement in that time in one's consciousness. And there's just life, and, and just life in, in sense of a, a sense of a greatness of it. And sometimes that occurs just in walking along the high street or, or, or sitting, on, sitting on the beach or just going for a walk along a country lane, or just doing something very, 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 very ordinary, very, very ordinary. And yet something occurs inside of oneself, out of one's receptivity, which, as it were, transfers the ordinary into super-ordinary. It, 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 there's another kind of sense or feeling factor or dimension which comes in. And those experiences, as I mentioned, of so 
so valuable, so, so nourishing spiritually. But I would say that even though those experiences are, are nourishing spiritually, what's even more important than the expression of the experiences in which self is not in the centre is what understanding emerges from it. What does it tell us? Because sometimes, and it's not un un unusual, that human beings have those forms of experience, I mean, superficial as they might be, through various induced forms. And one engages in, in, a, in a, some kind of uh, induced activity to forcibly change the mind, whether, you know, whatever that form of induce, inducement may be. But, nothing, but out of that may not come any spiritual understanding. There may not be an emergence of any, anything which resides inwardly. And so some human beings, as I say, do have these experiences. They do come and they do go. They may come and just go quite spontaneously because of one's consciousness. They may come, may come and go because of some drugs or whatever it might be. But the, ex but the experiences themselves are not enough spiritually speaking. Partly because of their ephemeral nature, partly because they are not always accessible even when the heart wants them to be. So what one may draw from the raw material of those, exper of those experience of feeling spacious, open and light, but somewhere there has to be, as it were, an inner transformation which makes experiences into a spiritual understanding. And what's that? What does that mean? What does, this, what, what does a spiritual understanding mean? It, really, it means really that that separation, those divisions which spiritually we, we, we encounter in our life between the feeling of unity and the feeling of division and the experience of division. The feeling of, feeling of being at one with. Sometimes in the expression of love, very personal love of course, and sometimes in the expression of love for, for life, love for truth, sometimes the, the opposite to that, so to speak. The sense of separation, the sense of conflict, the sense of the emergence of dissatisfaction. And so one has, as it were, unitive experience on the one side, and on the other side one has separation and, and division, and between, between these two, as one works more and more, the f and his ego is not predominant as a separating factor, one does feel, obviously, more unity. But, somehow, the juxtaposition of the, the two of those, the contrast of those, somehow or other, needs to be transformed into a spiritual understanding. That spiritual understanding to, towards that means that the, the sense of great difference between one form of experience and another form of experience don't register so strongly. One may have differences inside of oneself with another, inside of oneself with, with life, but there is some deeper level of oneself, some, some understanding, some 
direct intuition that even though there's a separation there which you and I experience, inwardly one sees beneath and through it. That's spiritual understanding. When our mind is just resting on experience, then we really feel, sometimes we feel whole, unitive, in connection with life, in connection with others. We don't feel any hostility, any resentment. We have no enemy image in any form and just feel a broad, expansive affection. And then that fades out for all the reasons that it does in our life and we find ourselves moving back into the separation and into the differences. And I'm saying that in a spiritual a deeper spiritual understanding is such that in our seeing this and this begin to be much more accommodated in our understanding of the way of the world. In our understanding of the way that the world appears to us. In such a way that those differences which seem so which would register, let us say, initially so clear to us, been so far apart from each other, conflict and unity, that there's, that there's a seeing which doesn't make that separation. That seeing is called non-duality. experience, the field of experiences, the unity field of experiences, and all the subtleties and the beauties of that is unity, but it's not non-duality. Because the non-duality, because that is opposite or different from the conflicts, the differences, the duality. But non-duality, true non-duality, is so non-dual in our seeing of life that this conflict separation and this Unity make no difference. The nature of things has that extraordinary expression of making no difference. But you know, the ebb and the flow of life and the ebb and flow of our experiences, they change. That makes a difference, of course. And we see, we can change, we can get better, we can get worse, we, things can develop, things can recede. But non-dual seeing, that, 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 that richness of that seeing means that the nature of things, the real fundamental nature of things, in spite of all the differences of experiences, never changes. That seeing brings peace. That seeing is a revelation of peace with life. An abiding harmony with life. Because the fundamental is as it is. Regardless of all the events that take place around us. The fundamental nature, that is indestructible.
and in our inquiry and in our discovery and in our being touched by life in, inwardly and outwardly. Out of that emerges a love, unity and a joy. beings be in touch with life. May all beings be receptive to life. May all beings inquire into eternity. <laughs> <laughs>